Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm Jar Jar Abrams, hit director of everyone's favorite film, Mystery Box The Revengening. Written by Ryan Johnson, Orsi, Kurtzman, and Lindelof. I mean, I'm Alex. <laughs> this week, we're talking about Mission Impossible 3. Produced by Michael Bay and Zack Snyder. We're just throwing them all in there. <laughs> it's a mess. And David Ayer did the costume design while we're at it. <laughs> and it wins an Oscar for costume design. And it won an Oscar. <sighs> Ironically, for best editing? Who could have <laughs> predicted that? Did someone let Nolan into the room? Alright, so anyways, we're talking about Mission Impossible 3, directed by J.J. Abrams from 2006, which has a 70% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 69% audience score. Hmm. Tyler, this movie is far better than Mission Impossible 2. That's accurate. And a, and a good bit better than Mission Impossible 1. It's also accurate. What is your best thing and your worst thing about Mission Impossible the revengeing. <laughs> um. Jeez, I don't even know where to start. My best. So thing... you like you you like this one a lot. Yes. Better. Yeah. Is this your favorite of all of them? I mean, so far, I I don't know. I need to rewatch the next few. I mean, I okay. watched Fallout twice in theaters, I believe, and okay. I'll have to rewatch it again, kind of comparing it. And and lining out, lining all my opinions up, but I this might beat it out. Uh, I mean, not that it's like a, not that I don't like Fallout. Like I like Fallout a lot, so that that should tell you something. Right. Um, my best thing is just overall the the script. That's like a weird thing to pick for. Well, it's just funny because it, you know it's written by Orsi Kurtzman yes. and J.J. Abrams. Yes. Uh and we've, I think every single movie that Orsi and Kurtzman have written that we've reviewed, we've lambasted the script do we, for. Do we want to line those up for the audience? Um, so we've done the first two Transformers movies, right. which they both wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, they did The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Right. Uh, Kurtzman directed the, the Tom Cruise Mummy film, which <laughs> I endlessly make fun of because I actually watched that movie. Uh, God save me. <laughs> Uh, I think that's all the films that they've done. That we've As covered. the saying goes, God save the Alex. Uh, yeah. But they've also Hashtag done... Hashtag God save the Alex. They, they've also done Star Trek 2, which we have... Well, they've done both both the first So two. did they... Did J.J. Abrams write both of them? No. Abrams did not write those. Okay. Uh, Orsi Kurtzman and Lindelof wrote them. Because Abrams is not a Star Trek guy, he pretty much said, they're the Star Trek guys, I trust them, I'll just direct it. Which is why the directing in those movies is really good, and mm-hmm. the script, particularly for Into Darkness, is quite lackluster. They know how to make a good Star Trek movie. They didn't. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I like the first one. I know, I have, kinda... I have no like actual Star Trek knowledge, which is why we will never do the Star Trek movies, because... The... Just... That's a whole can of worms <laughs> that I don't even want to begin to open. Yes. Um, I like the first one. 
the second one's not good, but I can enjoy watching it. And then the third one's pretty well, fun. I'm just saying the fact that we could do the modern ones, but we I feel like there's so much would be lost about the fact that we have like no foundation of the oh, original yeah. series or movies. Well, especially because anything. like the next generation movies, Mr. Plinkett made reviews analyzing those. So I feel like because I've seen those before actually yeah. watching the films themselves, I just have his review stuck in my head and I wouldn't be able to form my own fair, opinion. Fair. Um, so, And that is because you are a mindless sheep who uh, just takes everything Red Letter Media says and uh, spits them out as your own opinion. About certain things, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no. The So the script for Mission Impossible 3... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm sorry. We're, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Continue. Star okay. Wars versus Superman. The Last Dawn of Wonder Woman. Um, so the, the script... Shazam! <laughs> Colin Shazam, yes. Uh, the script for Mission Impossible 3 is legitimately really, really smart. And it, it's, it's so refreshing after Mission Impossible 2 because Mission Impossible 2 did not feel like people writing an actual or writing a movie the way they think people actually talk or even the way they think people in blockbuster movies actually talk this is the everyone in this feels so like genuine the writing feels so much more well adapted to the different or to the entire cast um it's just i don't know like it's it's very clever there i i feel like a lot of the twist land really well um, and the general the, the plot is is interesting and engaging, and it's all based around Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt and kind of his emotions and his character arc that he has kind of through this. And does he have a character arc? I don't. I don't know if he's you just kind of action man. I mean, they do well, try to give him a little little pathos. No, no, no as I'm saying to the previous two. It's films, not. But. It's not so much a character arc as it is. It's it's a, he is a let he me, is a completely different character from how he was. Let me in put two. it this way: this uh, can you agree with me there? Yes, is it like a, it's well, like the, a completely ignored. And, and I have a point on that. Yeah, yeah, no, I okay. I totally agree. Um, but I was gonna say, let me put it this way: it reminds me a lot of Captain America's quote unquote arcs in the, specifically kind of the the second and third Captain America movies, and the fact that he doesn't really change. Right, he is. It's his it's, refusal to yes, change. it's that, him that believing makes his in something. What it is, and having complete determination in something, and the world kind of telling him, eh, that's not going to work," and him being like, eh, "I think it will, though." And um, yeah, that and and so that and the, in this case, I'm talking about the fact that he's refusing to believe that he can't, like his basically he everyone else is telling him, "Hey, it's going to end badly if you marry someone who has no connection with us and is kind of from the the quote unquote outside world." And right. ultimately, he's able to save her. It kind of comes back around with the fact that that he was not able to save his uh, protege that he trained for the IMF right. at the beginning of the movie, and then he's able to save her at the end, and she saves him as well. And it's kind of this whole nice bow on the whole movie, uh, and just kind of the the if not character arc, then the journey that he takes throughout the movie. But then you get to the sequels and sure, uh, but they, we're talking about away with that. Mission Impossible Three, so right. that's what I'm going to review. Okay, um, that's fair. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, okay. it, I, I feel like just a lot of that hit me emotionally. Like I feel like that that came through really well. Um, more so, the first time you showed me this movie, which was maybe three years ago, I like yes, never oh watched God. any of these until recently. We talked about that recently on like one of the last two episodes. Um, 
but yeah, that this is uh, watching this around this time. Like I remember enjoying it the first time, but watching it around this time, I was like, oh, I I really really like this. And there's a lot of stuff that I did not really catch before, and it, it kind of plays better. So yeah. yeah, and I just feel like the overall plot is is interesting. I I mean that would be something that would, and obviously we're going to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout well down the line, but that would be something I would kind of give it over that is that I feel like the script and the, 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 the twist and the different, I don't know, just the, the handling of the agent storyline and some of the cliches and that sort of thing all come across really well. And they, I don't know, it's pulled off well. Uh, and we'll, we'll dive into that. I'll have to explain what I mean by all those individual parts, but yeah, big fan. <laughs> okay. Um, there's also a lot of just great individual lines, especially Lawrence Fishburne. Um, he gets a ton of just like ridiculous over the top, uh, like kind of police director, like head, head yeah. of police, uh, type lines. Um, it, it, it does, it doesn't have a line where he's like, it's unacceptable that chocolate makes it, makes you fat, but it, that doesn't mean it's not true or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, he says, uh, it's not fair that chocolate makes yes. you fat, but I've had my share. Yeah. 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 Um, there, there's a lot of great stuff like that. So, um, Oh, please don't give me an answer when I'm asking and, a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's important to note too that Lawrence Fishburne gets those lines, but it's not the case of the the thing that people complain about with Marvel humor, whether whether or not you agree with it, is that everyone's just quipping all the time. I would say Joss Whedon humor may be a good way to to kind of put that. Um, yeah, this is like everyone kind of the script gives people their own voice and actually turns them into real characters, um, which I appreciate a lot because. I feel like, especially knowing who who is behind this movie in general, like this could have been in, turned into a very like, oh, everyone's just kind of like joking around with each other and, and that sort of thing. And there is there are jokes, but I don't know. I, I feel like the humor and the writing is is all just very top notch in this movie. I really want to know how much of it is Abrams versus mm-hmm. Orsi and Kurtzman. I really want to know. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like especially when it comes to the first two Transformers movies, because mm-hmm. like if if we had J.J. Abrams directing them mm-hmm. with an Orsi and Kurtzman script. I don't know how those movies turn out. Maybe they're a lot better. Probably. Uh, I don't think J.J. Abrams would have a slow uh, pan close-up of um, Michaela Baines, uh, Megan Fox, like, leaning over a hood while sweaty in the sun. I, I don't yeah. think we'd get that shot. So uh, Yeah. That's fair. Um. Okay, so what's your worst thing? Mm, I feel like I had something, and I just completely lost it. Oh, um, and this might be stealing for you, so I apologize. But that's fair. Uh, in general, the action that's never happened before. Right, right. Uh, we were talking about this before, but this is what I was thinking going into it. I didn't just completely steal it from you. Um, the the action is very shaky cam. <laughs> um. Which yeah. applies in in some like I mean the obviously the the beginning kind of turns into the the helicopter chase scene thing, and it's very all over like the the camera's constantly shaking, which it, it makes sense, but it's also like we we do kind of want to know more like it, we need a, a bit of a clearer picture about what's going on um and for the most part, the directing is really good it's it's just that there are some some of the action sequences uh get messy, <laughs> yeah, I would also uh... probably lump in. If, if it even makes sense to lump it in, but I think on top of that, because what, what we were talking about before was the fact that J.J. Abrams was not really familiar with cinematic work before this point. 
It's kind of come out of, coming yeah, off. Yeah, pretty much all he'd done before this was like TV and script writing. Yeah, and so I feel like like he did he did the show Alias, which is a spy right. show with Jennifer Garner, and I've heard people describe this as oh, it's like Alias, but it's got Tom Cruise in it. Interesting. So, I would be kind of interested in yeah. going and watching Alias now. Yeah. So, um, well, that's just my thing is that uh, I feel like. That the action as well as the effects, uh, there there's some, and it's it's from 2006. There are but, some dodgy effects, but there are definitely some dodgy, <laughs> dodgy effects. Uh, kind of you mentioned that helicopter that. sequence. Yeah, pretty much yeah. all of that is dodgy. Yeah. yeah, I will say, usually dodgy is the right word as opposed to trash. Um, right. It's 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 shot in a way where you don't like really... Mission Impossible Two. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's shot in a way where you don't really get to sit there and look at a terrible effect for longer than a second or two. So right, it, they use it well, but uh, right. definitely you can see that he probably doesn't isn't completely comfortable with shooting for a big CGI budget and yeah, in general for shooting a big action budget. Right. So my favorite thing, it's not even the character of Owen Davian. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. Yep, that's... Yeah. Um, I mean, the writing for his character is pretty solid, I, but I think most of it comes from that performance. And it's it's, it's kind of, relating this back to Mission Impossible 2, it's kind of how I feel about that, where I feel like if you had just gotten the right people in place yeah. and kept the same script, it could have been elevated a lot more. Like, if you had a Philip Seymour Hoffman-level actor playing Doug Ray Scott's character in the previous film, I feel like we'd all be praising that bad guy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman's it is amazing in this. And I remember <laughs> my dad and I, we, we kind of bond over spy movies for some reason. Like, we really bond get into James Bond. Bond over and, spy and, uh, movies? But we really get into James Bond and Mission Impossible. Not mm. so much Bourne, which is interesting. Even though we've seen most of them in theaters. Um, Anyways, we kind of bond over spy movies. But I, both of us were like, and, and, you know, of course, rest in peace, Philip Seymour Hoffman. But we were always like, if they ever remade Goldfinger, he should play Goldfinger. Because yep. he looks yep. exactly like him, and he's a wonderful actor. You're not wrong. Well, just, just his whole speech where he's sitting there in the plane, and he's threatening Ethan. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. And it's not even like the writing is especially yeah. great. It's um, it's all in the performance. And that that is one one kind of dink I'd I'd say with the script is that I feel like I almost feel like it's a little anticlimactic uh, how he goes out. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's not really it, a, it's a it's good... it's not to the same degree of like Bane getting killed yes, just so we, we can make room for Talia. And we but get, it's kind of like that. We get a reckoning. It's just not. I feel like they could have played more into the emotion of that scene and, and yeah. Had the, had a little more dialogue between them. Um, yeah. it, it's the kind of thing where you almost need uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman, Hoffman to say something, like to have a line he delivers right before he gets uh, wiped out by a truck. Spoilers, uh, right. and then and then for Tom Cruise to give him a. I'm, I'm trying to think. I think it's the original Speed, uh, the the classic bus bomb movie, uh, where I love that at, movie. at the I know no no yeah at the end. Um, Keanu Reeves like is fighting the guy on top of the the no on top of a train right yes yeah and they're in a they're in a tunnel and he like there's some line about basically he he decapitates the guy on a sign and there and Keanu Reeves gives him some like action one-liner about like heads up bro 
no, it's. I think isn't it like uh now no, now it's, you're it's, shorter or something like that? Yeah, it's it's something along those lines. It feels like we almost need something like that just to be like Tom Cruise is. This is a cathartic moment. It's not just like oh god, well yeah. guess that's over with and, and moving on. Um, but yeah, no, his performance is spectacular. I love the this scene where he's in the bathroom and he's uh, it's Tom Cruise is supposed to be wearing you know his his face face mask thing and yeah. he hasn't the voice hasn't come through yet so it's Tom Cruise wait, trying to wave off the security guard yeah. but then it's actually obviously Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman I love the way he kind of acts that where it's like it doesn't look the way you, that you'd expect Philip Seymour Hoffman to look if he was just waving away a security guard that's a very specific like right example but it, it, it the way he's doing it in the, the kind of the manic way he does it, it it comes across like it's Tom Cruise in a mask trying to yeah it's it's good yeah um i think just based on his his performance alone he's the best bad guy yeah um in the series i i think solomon lane is probably the best written i Mm -hmm. think and partially that's because he's in two movies so there's extra time to really build on his uh uh difficult relationship with ethan right um but I think very quickly they're able to establish Davian as a pretty formidable foe. Yeah, yeah. Um, my worst thing, kind of going along with it, but it's it's generally just the production, I guess. And mm-hmm. it's not that it's flat out bad. It's it's just very average to me. Yeah. Um, it feels like mid two thousands action movie. <laughs> it um, feels like this is the same year that uh. What's what's some of our usual punching bag movies that came out? I always get I always get like 2006 and 2007 messed up. But didn't X Men three come out this year? Yes. And um, I feel like I'm missing one. It's another Superman Returns. Sure, we could, I mean we haven't talked about that, but that too. Um, it feel feels very. I it came out of 2006 and it and it shows. Yeah. Uh, it did not rise above 2006. It, it, there's a lot of quick cuts. Um, there's a lot of close-ups. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of close-ups, mm-hmm. especially in the action scenes. Like that helicopter scene, it's like all close-ups. Yep. I can't tell what's happening. <laughs> um, and maybe that's partially because the special effects aren't quite up to snuff. Yeah. So they're like, keep it zoomed in on Jonathan Rees Myers' face as he's piloting and he's saying things. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Don't think about it. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But also, they do the... And it's funny that you mentioned uh, the Michaela Baines sweaty mm-hmm. as she's on top of a car thing. Um, this I don't know what kind of color grading it is. It feels like it's that super saturated, yeah. orange tinged. Everybody sweaty it's, all the time, no matter what kind of lighting. I don't think it's and I quite that I, bad. It's it's no, not it's Transformers not quite that one bad, bad but I did notice two. it. But yeah, it's it's not it's not the I prettiest movie. I don't think the movie looks very good. Yeah, and. I was telling you beforehand, I think if J.J. Abrams were to direct this exact same script mm-hmm. um, today, it would be immediately better, just because he's had more experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's kind of my worst thing. Yeah, for um, me, for me, I think it'd be, the, it'd be the clear best, too, if they did. If it was exactly the same movie, but the production level raised a couple notches yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. So, what's your Where grade for Mission Impossible? <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh my god. <laughs> Where shall we start? Mm. 
I want to talk about the cast because we we talked about Philip, Se- Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, but the cast in general was amazing. Like, and and it's it's the kind of thing where in 2006, it would not have come out like, oh man, look at this amazing cast. Like, like it, I mean, it, it's obviously pretty good. I mean, it's got Tom Cruise, Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, Lawrence Fishburne. But like, if you look at all of the side characters and like. Well, it's it's surreal to watch this movie today, um, just because like, I mean, obviously Michelle Monaghan is a good actress and she's in a lot of stuff. Um, Carrie Russell, I think, is her name the the yes. girl who who is Lin- a JJ Abrams regular. Yes, and uh, she's she's also like the star of the the Americans, a TV show which I've never watched, but I've heard um, like amazing things about, and I think that's kind of her claim to fame. Um, and she's going to be in Star Wars Episode yeah, Nine. Yeah, yeah. Start the speculation about her being Ray's mom. Oh God, stop it! Um, or maybe she's Kylo Ren's mom. S- oh my God, what a twist! Maybe she's both. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> there is um, Aaron Paul, is like a super minor character. Um. And he, it almost feels like it's a prequel to Breaking Bad. Yes. <laughs> it, it feels like Jesse Pinkman before he started getting into drugs. Yeah, yeah. I um, feel like that's exactly how his character would behave <laughs> before he got into drugs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's super weird um, to see him there. Uh, I, Gr- Greg Grunberg? I was looking up the, the cast before yeah. to make sure I had some of these names right. Another J.J. Um, Abrams right Yeah, uh, Matt, Matt Parkman from um, Heroes. For and those of you who still pilot remember, man in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah, right. I forgot he's in there too. Um, but you, you, you would remember him from uh, Heroes if you remember Heroes at all, as very few people do. Um, I liked it well enough. Heroes season one is incredible, uh, and I don't. I have a weird thing with TV shows where I sort of just like fade fade out over time. Like where where if if I really like a TV show, I don't realize just how much I like it until I've given it like two months to process and I'm like man that was really good or I'm like man I don't remember like anything about that that was not that great right Um, and so like the other even though I didn't hate them at the time the other seasons kind of don't don't stand up to me as well but like that that first season of Heroes is incredible anyways um and then it got hit by the writer's strike yeah and everything got ruined and everyone died uh the end the end yeah so I'm trying to think there there are some other names I mean Billy Crudup obviously um Dr. Manhattan, if you're not familiar, he's he's been in all sorts of things recently. Uh he was our he was our favorite uh space captain in uh Alien Covenant. Yeah, that. Uh, I'm religious and they hate me for some <laughs> reason. Let me mention that twice in the movie and then go get attacked by a face hugger cuz I'm a moron. We say a lot of things about about Zack Snyder. Um I, I I have to say I'm glad that he gave Billy Crudup the, the, the chance to shine in in that Doctor Manhattan role because I think he's what the heck? Sorry, the computer's doing things because I think he is just amazing in that. Um, Zack Snyder knows how to cast movies. I'm yeah. not going to take that away from him. Yeah. Um, it's just moving on. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anybody, but I think that that covers most. Maggie Q and Jonathan Rhys Myers. Sure. As other people on the team, <laughs> yeah, they're. I've recognized them from places, but I, I could not tell you where I've seen them before. They didn't immediately think, hit me like a. 
Jonathan Rhys Myers is on. I think he was on that show, The Tudors. I think Henry Cavill was on there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. They're mostly small-time actors, I guess. Interesting. Of course I say that. People will be like, they were on my favorite <laughs> show was the main character, and you should know that. <laughs> it got canceled after two episodes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anybody. But basically, I mean... I mean all, you all mentioned this... Lawrence Fisher, Fishburne yes. before. Um, I wish he was a mainstay as yeah. the head of IMF. Well, especially the fact that the way that it plays out, where it's the fact that the audience is kind of tricked into thinking that he's the bad guy. And yeah. then we, we get the, the, the blame taken off of him. Like, that would be awesome if he continued, because it's like, ah, get to continue having him but around, no. and now we have history with him. We'll have the guy who played Carmine Falcone in Batman Begins be be the director of the IMF, and then he'll get shot in the head in the next one. Okay. Yeah. Why not? I like those bring, protocols. They should bring Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne back for the next one, and then just pretend like it's fine. Well, it's just funny because Lawrence Fishburne is one of those actors where if he's charismatic, uh-huh. like, it really shows. Uh-huh. Or, like, you look at something like the Matrix sequels, where yeah. it's like, they're giving him nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing to work with. And the most animated he is is, like, that weird speech that he gives in the caves. And it's, like, that. it's not consistent with everything else. So what's... Yeah. what? Yeah. Or, or, like, him being the crazy guy in Predators. Mm-hmm. Or it's just... Oh, you don't fit this at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish Lawrence Fishburne was a mainstay. Yeah. Like, I, I know you liked Anthony Hopkins in the previous one, but what if it was Lawrence Oh, Fishburne? yeah, no, no, 100% Lawrence Fishburne. Anthony Hopkins doesn't need to be sitting around in these movies. And, like, he he's almost like... Anthony Hopkins is too much of a just complete, you know, masterclass actor that it is sort of... We- it's, so, it's sort of like with Odin with him where it's just like what are you what are you doing here like go go find a, a passion project like you, you you're just here like when people see you they're just we can get like, sam neil to play odin it's fine <laughs> like, we we can get we can get people who not oh, that we'll you, get matt damon yeah really not right. that he's like not having fun in the roles but it's like there are people who will have more fun with this and and you can go off and and, and win awards and stuff for doing things um i don't know it's it's yeah it, it would be awesome especially because of the kind of the backstory and the foundation they would lay in this movie or they have laid in this movie it would be awesome if Lawrence Fishman had continued for sure but oh Simon yeah. Pegg ah duh. Can't, yeah can't forget I knew, him I knew there was someone yeah um yeah that that entire cast is just like wait what and of course Fing Rames the only sure. other regular sure. in this series other than Tom Cruise yeah. um I'm amazed. And he continues to be great. I'm I'm amazed and impressed that he was in the second one because I I I'm extremely surprised they didn't just like drop him. Uh, Put a hole in my Versace. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. It's there's just, not a weird there's not a weird moment where he's in the van and somebody puts an explosive <laughs> on the van and then that's never explained. That didn't happen in this movie. No, it didn't. You're right. <laughs> movie sucks. Um. Well, on that, I think it's a great cast, but the script has weird moments where it feels like they're trying to give these people some character when they really shouldn't. The the one I'm specific, I specifically bet that, Jonathan Rhys Meyers. I, bet, I know exactly Maggie what Hugh. you're talking about. Yeah, that was a weird. Well, thing. I actually have a couple of moments. Okay. Um. So there's the one moment where uh, they're in the Vatican and they're prepping the mask mm-hmm. for uh, 
Ethan to, to sneak in as Davian. Uh, and, uh, uh, Thing Rames goes, oh, you know, people like us, we can't have serious long-term relationships. It won't last more than, like, two years, mm-hmm. guaranteed. And then Jonathan Reese Myers is like, yeah, in this business, we can't have long-term relationships. You see, I love that. And he just kind of leaves, and it's like, who are you again? Yeah, feels like we missed something. Um, and the other one being, I assume... Uh, when they're waiting to see if Tom Cruise is able to get the uh, the rabbit's foot from the building, uh, yeah, and they're just sitting in the car, and then um, Maggie Ma- Q yes. starts praying. She's praying um, a prayer that she used to say when her cat got lost. Yeah, which is like, I mean, that's fine. Like that's just a nice little little thing or whatever. And then he, but then Jonathan Reese Myers is like, "Can I, or teach it to me?" And then we, and then no, we don't cut immediately at that point. The Tom Cruise breaks through the window or calls and says that he's he's free, and so yeah, yeah it's just a weird. It's like why what what are we doing with this? Is that that, gonna that scene should have been cut? Go? Yeah, um, it feels like there's missing scenes of characterization for them. Yes, I agree. And it's like and they never well, come if, back. If right? you're gonna cut, if you're gonna cut like some of them, you may as well just cut it all. Yeah, because then it's just gonna feel weird and jarring when you start like, oh, they have personalities. Oh, wait, we need an action scene to happen yeah. now, so never well, mind. It feels like the way they filmed it is that they were the ones who were passing time until we figure out if, if Ethan gets the rabbit foot, in that at least in that second scene. I don't know about the other scene with the... Well, again, it's, it feels like both of those were just cut in ways that like they didn't they couldn't figure out how to cut around them. <laughs> like, both yeah. of those scenes were just like, ah, uh, what do we do with this? Yeah. Um... I do like how it's a bit more about a team dynamic again. Mm-hmm. Um, Unlike, and we really get that with the next one, but we're, we're working our way back yeah. from the second movie where it's just like, <laughs> no, it's all about Tom Cruise. We're, we're rebuilding. It's all about Tom Cruise. We're yeah. rebuilding. This um, really feels like a soft reboot for the yes. series. Well, and that's the thing. So that's what I wanted to mention, the fact that you had talked about the fact that each of these three movies feels completely different. I don't feel like this is that much of a far cry from the first one. Um, it's really the second one that is that sticks out like a sore thumb because that one, yeah. the tone, the characterization. Well, that one just breaks the rules of reality. Yeah, and the characterization of Ethan, like it. That one's a cartoon. Yes, exactly. It's it's all just completely like this is a different universe that we're working with, working in. This one, I feel like the performance by Tom Cruise itself is a lot more in line. It's still not not identical, but it's a lot more in line with the the first movie. And like, yeah. like I was just thinking of that immediately from the start of the uh, when they he, they're they're having like the party at their house because it's like a I guess like an engagement party type thing. Um, yeah. And uh, well, is it an engagement party? So, something like that. I don't know. Because I know they kind of get married like afterwards. Yeah. Just kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. But. I don't know. I don't know what they're going for there. It, it's a party. That's all we need. Um, and he's walking around, and he's like, he, he gives a spiel to to Greg Grunberg about uh, how how passionate he is about traffic. He works yeah. at the Department of Trans- Transportation, and so it's like, and like he has a lot of these these lines where he's acting like completely like I am the ultimate, um, you know, neighborhood dad man, uh, and it's it's just. Like it, it almost comes across as like sociopathic, if you if you keep because in mind. because Ethan Hunt is a crazy person yes. as as we will see as this as this exactly. series continues it, to progress. If you keep in mind the performance from the first movie, it's like knowing what he's been through and how much of an insane person he is. 
already yeah. we know that it's just like a complete like the paranoia that he's had to build up. Yes, yes, it it comes across as like this is almost creepy. Um, it's sweet, but it's creepy, and yeah. and and that well, even like he's listening to his his to Julia's conversation with her friends, uh-huh. and he's reading their lips, mm-hmm. and then she's like, oh, "What was the lake?" And he goes, "Wanaka." Yeah, and they're like, "How did he hear that?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, oh, Ethan's kind of a crazy man. <laughs> Yeah, and it's and but he's a likable crazy we, man. So I feel it's like fine. I feel like we pick up this movie, and aside from the fact that we've not had any foundation with his relationship with Michelle Monaghan, um, am I saying that right? I don't know if it's Monaghan or Monahan or Moynihan or I don't know. Bobby Moynihan. Uh, yeah. The, all right. Do you know who that is? No. Moving he's, on. He's the he's the the, the trademark SNL guy. Oh, you're hair. continuing to explain who that person is. Yeah. Moving on. It's, I like I Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald is my yeah. favorite SNL person. Yes, Tom Cruise's love interest, Norm MacDonald. Uh, so. <laughs> now I want the version where we loop in Norm MacDonald dialogue for Julia. <laughs> uh, yeah. So instead of Julia going, Ethan, what's going on? Norm just goes, OJ did it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Uh, uh, but yeah, the or we. I feel like we immediately get back into like, ah, this is that character that we were looking for last movie. Um, at least the for guy me. who feels kind of human, yes, but also very on edge and like, yeah, not unpredictable. I guess would be the word. And so yeah, well, it's, just it's an interesting way to start off because it's it's not what you would expect. You would expect to be like, oh, he's he's doing agent stuff he's just on a mission or whatever right um and of course we have to get into he's going rogue again but anyways <laughs> uh i like the angle of well he's kind of settled down and he's he's semi-retired and yeah. all he does is train yeah it's an interesting thing for like a spice like uh, a pop a spy series i guess mm-hmm. i think that's an interesting angle to go with like they've it's never done that with james bond or you know it's especially weird considering that it's the third movie and the other two were so disjointed that it's not like this feels like the natural end to a, a trilogy yeah. or an arc. It's just like, ah, yeah, yeah we're going to do something different here because it, it well, does... Especially when you get to the end of the second one, it's like, oh, he's in love with um, <laughs> Danny Newton's character. And they're going to walk away in Australia and they're just going to be in love forever. We really do just give up on Mission Impossible 2 entirely. Oh, yeah. The only reference to that one that I can tell in the rest of these movies is just the fact that he free climbs again in Fallout. Amazing. That seems to be the <laughs> only reference to that film. Sure. And it's almost like, hey, you know that scene that you, everyone hated? We're going to do it in a way that you're going to be on the edge of your seat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spoilers for Fallout? Yes. You're going to be on the edge of your seat. Spoilers. Uh, Tom Cruise free climbs? <laughs> spoilers. Uh, yeah, With it's... the power of Xenu? Spoilers? <laughs> um, but overall, just feels like we're back to form, which is very nice. I, I yeah. feel like watching it now, it, we it, the first one still feels very much like a TV pilot, but TV pilots often don't feel exactly like the rest of the show does. So, Right. Uh, I, I think overall it works very well. Um, yeah. well. I just like how neat and efficient it is. Mm-hmm. 
at least in terms of the script. There's not a whole lot of fat to it. Like, that's that's one thing we complain about with the Transformers movies. It's like, these movies just keep going on forever and ever. Yeah. Like, they need to be tight with the, with the plot. Mm-hmm. There's so much stuff that's just... We don't need it. Just cut it. Just cut it. This, this feels, like, very clean and efficient. Yeah. I would agree. I do have some questions, though. Uh... I do as Mostly well. around Musgrave being connected with Davian the whole time. Yeah. And I'm kind of confused as to, like, what he knows at what time and certain decisions that he makes regarding sending Ethan to go on a mission and whatnot. Yeah. We'll get into that. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of the meat of it, so I want to I talk about that. Yeah. Um. Well, do we want to get into that then? Because that's just kind of the plot of the movie. Yeah, I guess we can. I was I felt like I had something else I wanted to go down, but that's probably the next logical step. So, uh, yeah, overall overall idea is that Musgrave is uh, tr- pretending to be on Tom Cruise's side, generally. Um, He's basically his manager. <laughs> yeah, and um, he is secretly working for Davian. And well, he's not working for Davian; he's working with Davian. Sure, sure, but still. Um, and so he is trying to kind of undermine Brassel. Is that Lawrence's yes. reference? Yeah. Um, and then, and so basically, the movie kind of kind of tricks us into thinking that it's Brassel for that because basically we. Well, even then, we get the the micro dot message from I was gonna Lindsay, say. where she's like, "Oh, we got a message. Uh, there was a call between Davian, and it was a, it was in Brassel's office. That's where the phone call was." Yes. Well, I think she says specifically Brassel's phone. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just imagining that thing where it's like Brassel goes on his lunch break, and <laughs> Musgrave just kind of slinks his way into yeah. his office, tidies up a little. I got a funny pop, image in my head his, now. Pops his collar. Like yeah, I like this. I'm the boss now. Kicks his feet up. Puts, put, yeah, puts his feet up on the desk. Yeah. Um. Basically, so the way the way this kind of gets gets laid out to us is that we have the first act, quote unquote, twist, where it's like, oh, Brussel Brussel is the bad guy, because um, we find out from the the microdot thing that not only the first act twist, but like the, I don't know where we don't get that reveal until like halfway through the movie. Is it halfway through? It feels like it's earlier than that. No, it's right during the bridge attack. Yeah. No, I, I know, but the... That's about halfway through the movie. You think so? Okay. The, yeah. Well, it feels like we... That's... Either way, it's it's a little earlier than you would normally make that twist. And normally that would just be your twist. Is that... Ah, the director. It's the bad guy. Spectre. Um, the guy that's been, been uh, very difficult to work with. He's the yes, bad guy. Yes. I say Spectre. I know the director is not actually the bad guy, Inspector, but it's it's well, it's it's the guy that's causing problems for them within their organization. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, Spectres. Ah. <laughs> that's my review of Spectre. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout do a much better job of that exact same plot. Yep. Uh, and that's something I wanted to to go on a quick tangent on. Actually, well, I'll put a pin in that. I don't want to get off track because Spectre. Um, so basically, the the and Rogue Nation came out the exact same year. So the way the movie kind several of, months before yeah. Spectre, correct. Uh, the way the movie kind of doles that information to us is that we start off, we get a scene, and this scene I'm still kind of chewing over. This is where most of my confusion about this plot comes from, right. um, and I, so I want to talk about it. Uh, early on, there's a scene where after they've 
kidnap Davian. Um, Fishburne calls in Billy Crudup, and he's like, "Hey," uh, or no, no, Billy Crudup, sorry, comes into Fishburne's office, and he's like, "Hey, uh, Tom Cruise just captured Philip Seymour Hoffman," and um, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne is like, "The actor Tom Cruise <laughs> captured the actor Philip Seymour." Hoffman? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Tom Cruise, the actor, captured. Owen Davy and the the crime lord. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and so um, he, he's like, and Lawrence Fishman is like, oh, did you did you know about this operation? And uh, it, so in that in that moment, it's an interesting scene because he says, you, did you know about this operation? Billy Crudup's like, yes, I did. And the way it feels like it's played initially, without us knowing all the the background information, is that it's supposed to be he's he wants to take the fall if Lawrence Fishburne's going to be super upset about this. Right, or he's just trying to take the credit. It's one of the two, um, yeah. And that's why he says, "Yes, I did." And then Lawrence Fishburne, and then like, Fishburne goes, "Well, congratulations." Yeah, yeah, good job. Um, so that's that's how we get that. Then we find out that Brassel is supposedly the turncoat, who's right actually going to foil the the operation that sent the helicopters and the drones and whatever. Um. What's the next bit of it? Well, I guess the, so. After that, they get captured. Tom Cruise gets captured because um, he yeah because, he well, drives. Julia gets, there's, there's a lot Julia more. Julia gets it. captured. Yes. Tom Cruise but, is like, oh dear God, I have to get to the hospital, and then he gets captured yes. by IMF. Yes. Um, and so then and then he has to go rogue. Ah. See, at this point, it's not a cliche that he went rogue. True. So at this point, I can't criticize it too heavily. And also... Also, they come up with a very compelling reason for him to go rogue. Well, yes, it's it's not he's going rogue because he has to go against the, the red tape. It's he's going rogue because the organization is against him, which I guess is normally the plot of going rogue, but I don't know. It's interesting. Because, like, in, in Mission Impossible 1, he's going rogue because he thinks that what what's his face director guy is out to get him when actually he's straight and it's the it's, I don't know it's kind of similar yeah yeah anyway oh it's actually very similar because it's his yeah anyway <laughs> uh, it's, also I it's, like when Lawrence Fishburne he goes um I will bleed to make sure that the flag stripes stay red mm-hmm. or that 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 was just a very clever way of saying, "Yeah, I'm a patriot," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like in general, an masculine America, yeah. f yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and it also like post nine eleven line, but it was just very creative, yes. and it and it gives you a sense of like, oh, that's his motivation for turning again. He's 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 trying to go go around the law because he wants to uphold something, and that's why he's the bad guy. But it's not actually he's the bad guy. That's actually just his, or he's his, just lying through his teeth. Yeah, but it's actually just his motivation, and so it's like, yeah. Um, and so he gives a speech to Tom Cruise where he says, it turns out that you withheld information from us. We want to know what that information is. Yeah. Um, the, it's also kind of weird because he has a line where he says something about how the Vatican operation was like a failure. I guess maybe the idea is that he hadn't yet found out that they like, not a failure, but like was it was a mess. I guess he hadn't yet found out. Well, how it was a they... failure because they didn't bring Davian in. Uh, he got saved. That, that would make more sense for him. Interesting. <laughs> um, well, the way I, it, it's it's interesting because the way he it's played, it's like 
we're supposed to be in the know now that Lawrence Fishburne is the bad guy and he's giving his evil monologue to Tom Cruise. Um, doesn't doesn't uh, Musgrave say something like Brassel was on to him, so he tried to have Ethan be a scapegoat? Is that does he? Because I know he gives he gives his monologue towards the end, and then Tom Cruise bites his hand. Um, I can't remember if he says that or not. I don't like think I said, so. I'm I'm a little. It almost feels like a thing where they were writing the script and they didn't quite know who they wanted the bad guy to be, and then at the end they're like, "Oh, Musgrave, that's Maybe. fine, whatever." I don't know because what it's, it feels like what they're so so basically because I think what the so here's here's what my interpretation of the plot is because basically after this point. Musgrave then secretly tells Tom Cruise where to go. Right. Because he knows because he actually, like, is working with Davian. He's just trying to get Davian the rabbit. Exactly. Um, And he's like, oh, now we have leverage. Ethan Hunt's, like, the best of the best. We can just get him to get the rabbits. Yes. Fine. And then then we find out that Crudup has been organizing all this. So my, my question is, at that point... So I think the idea is that he did not know about the operation. Like, he did not know that they were going rogue to, to capture Davian, especially because of the fact that he then proceeded to steal No, no, Davian no, they, did, they didn't tell him. Exactly. Ethan specifically exactly. says we're not telling him because he could get into trouble yes. and we don't... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's why... And then he hasn't captured right back, so it's not like... It, there, it's nice to see a movie, I would like to point out, that it's nice to see the movie a movie where there's not a... Oh, the, guy, the bad guy got captured to do trigger some other plan. You're I know right. this is kind okay, of right ahead of that. It's I it's do just have a, yeah. I do have a question about why does Musgrave decide to send Ethan and his team in to rescue Carrie Russell in the first place? Oh, no, they do answer that. It's to figure out how much she knows. Interesting. Because they're like we know about the microdot or whatever. Then they were trying to figure I don't know. Yeah. That's it's it's shaky. Well, he also says that he didn't expect her to. I don't know. He gives a huge exposition dump at the end, and it's not as bad as it could be. But it is kind of no. like here's my plan. Um, here's my plan and entire motivation. Yeah, but he he also he says something about how she is. It should not be this hard to figure it out. I will say, but I think it overall does flow does work fairly well. And it's a cre- the fact that it's him instead of Lawrence Fishburne is a creative twist. Uh, that, that's that's my ultimate summary of of why I like it. Is because did it subvert your expectations? Because it subverted my expe- expectations. It doesn't matter. It's just, as long as it subverts my expectations, you know, it's fine. Um. <laughs> We really need to stop bringing up that joke. I don't even know what I believe anymore. Anyway, um, so the, I guess the idea is that uh, Billy Crudup said, yes, I did know about the operation because he just wants to get more credence with Lawrence Fishburne. I guess we're not really supposed to make anything of that because he, he just wants to continue acting like he, he's, he's, he's... I guess because if he orchestrated a, a capture of Davian, then that implies that he is not working against them or that that contains right. the cover his butt so yeah i guess that all works fine i don't know and maybe it's on both of us not actually paying enough attention maybe. to the dialogue i was very i don't know i kept coming back to that i scene. have seen this movie many times so maybe yeah. I, I was watching it a bit more passively than yeah. i should with but regards to that so overall i think it plays i think it's creative good job <laughs> agreed <laughs> I have a question though. Uh, so when they go to the Vatican, what what's in the briefcase? I think that 
It doesn't, is it just information on the rabbit's foot? Yes, doesn't um okay. What's his face specific? Yeah, oh, Davian. Um, yes, Davian. Doesn't he specifically say? I think he, I think he has a line where he specifically says that the briefcase. He tell he's talking to Tom Cruise. I think it's right outside the hospital, and he's telling him, "Hey, that briefcase I had. It had information on where to go to get the rabbit's foot. It's yeah. here." I need you to get this information for me. Okay, so that was his deal with the Vatican in the Vatican, where mm-hmm. I guess he he gave he dropped off some money for whatever third party it was, and they yes. left him the briefcase with the information yes. of where to find the rabbit. Yes. Okay, okay, that 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 place. Mm-hmm. I follow that. Can I just say I love the fact that the rabbit's foot is literally just the it is the MacGuffin that is never actually going to get explained. Like the, okay. We we need to get into J.J. Abrams and mystery boxes. Sure, sure. Um, but this is, this is how I would, no, this is how you do a mystery yes, box, yes. where it doesn't matter. That's mm-hmm. not the point of the plot. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing. And I would argue it's th- a thing to move the plot exactly. forward. Um, I love the ending where it's it's he asks uh, Lawrence Fishburne. He's like, hey, so what is uh, what, what is the rabbit's foot? And he's like, if you if you promise you'll stay, I'll I'll tell you. And he's like, eh, I'll send you a postcard. And he then he leaves. Yeah. And it's like he cares more about his. It, it's he cares it's more telling about his, the audience indirectly, "Hey, it didn't matter." Well, it's telling the audience that, it. but it's also a nice character moment for him to be like, he cares more about his life with Julia than he does about his mission. Like right. he's he's made that decision, whatever right. may come next. Um, yeah, and so and I would I would argue this almost doesn't really fall under the the J.J. Abrams mystery box traditional mystery box camp. Because it's not really. This is like the um, the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. That's it's it's the same kind of idea where it's it's yeah. you've got a thing. It doesn't matter what the thing is. The thing is important to the characters. It's a thing our characters are after, and you just need to worry about how the characters react and, and kind of. Well, I I just it. love how they use Simon Pegg's character Benji to explain kind of like. Just assume it's like the worst possible yes. thing. Use your imagination. Yes. Yes. It's the anti god. Because when you first, I, I love, I love his monologue about that. By the way, and, that's, and that's really fun. When I first was watching it, or when I first got to that that monologue, it was like, oh, that's that's kind of a cop out. It's like, oh, we're we're immediately escalating the stakes to the highest possible. But then as he realized that the 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 point of the rabbit's foot is totally not the point, like yeah. the actual purpose of it, then it starts to make a lot more sense as to why they did that. Because it's just like you just need to know this is a bad thing. Right, and they got to deal with it. Well, even then, they use the plot to sort of hint at how dangerous it is. Because, mm-hmm. like, when Tom Cruise, um, he has the rabbit's foot, and he goes to give it to Davian, and we have the the wonderful scene where he's threatening to kill, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote mm-hmm. Julia, and and he's like, "Where's the rabbit's foot?" And Tom Cruise is like, "I gave it to you. What's going on?" Yeah, and he, and you know, he's counting he's counting up to ten. Um, excellent way to open the movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that is a stupendous way to open the movie mm-hmm. um but basically with the explanation that Musgrave gives him like well first off he tells him oh yeah it's not Julia it's the, it's the woman that failed Davian at uh the Vatican but he goes well we couldn't actually physically check to see if it was the real rabbit's foot we had to make sure that yes. it was yes. by, through this means so it's like oh they couldn't even like open it up and test it uh-huh. that's how dangerous uh-huh. it is so they're using the plot There's, to sort of yes. subtly establish how dangerous yes. whatever um, it is is. And adding on to that, my point about or that rein- the fact that they use that as the opening reinforces my point that 
the point of the movie is Tom Cruise trying to salvage and, and create a life for himself outside of being an agent. And the yeah. fact that the the opening of the movie, you think, oh, he wasn't able to save Julia. We find out he actually is able to. And that's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very smart writing. I feel like the, the plot very much reinforces a lot of the, the character beats. Um, well, it's not even like this movie is, like, thematically rich or yeah. anything like that. It's just, like, a very well-told spy thriller. Exactly. It's got a lot going on on the plot side, on the, the, the kind of machinations of spy thrillers, and it's it's got a, a good, solid emotional core. And that's yeah. that's all you really need for, for these kind of action movies. Um, yeah. C, Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think Fallout, and this is mostly because I think it handles the supporting characters on the team yeah. better. Um, I think it it handles the character and emotional stuff a little bit better yeah. than this. We'll have to get there. We'll have to get there. Yeah, we'll have to think about it. Um, as far as the mystery box goes, uh, we were we were talking about this before. Everyone hates J.J. Abrams now, apparently, because mystery boxes are the worst, yes. and J.J. Abrams is just a Spielberg ripoff. Well, well. So J.J. Abrams, we're talking about this, has made like kind of four movies that are just supposed to be a standalone movie. It's just like he, well, he's really only written two, right? He co-wrote this, and then I don't know if he co-wrote Super Eight or he wrote it himself. I think he well, wrote one it of the himself. two, right? Yes. So those are two movies. He co-wrote Force Awakens. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll get to that. Put a pin in that. Um, and he co-wrote episode 9 with everyone's favorite Batman v Superman scribe Chris Terrio who has an Oscar that should be interesting how so, much of, of that script is actually Chris Terrio supposedly all the parts that I like are from Chris Terrio so take that what you will are, are you are you joking no, 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 or, from, or are you being from serious what I, from that? what I've heard the, the rumors are that like a lot of the things where I'm like oh that's a creative like kind of turn yeah, uh, tw- twist in dialogue. Um, I've I've heard a lot of those are last minute touches by him, but he couldn't salvage the movie because oh did God. did Terrio write and then Batman used his giant Gatling guns to blow up a car and then run it over? I, was that was that him? Was that in the script? I, I do not believe so. Okay, I could, I could be wrong. Just checking. <laughs> uh, so the those two movies, Super Eight and this movie, are. Both like neither... What's, how how does the, the culture feel about Super Eight? I have no idea. I feel like people generally like it. I could be wrong. I I, it... I remember a lot of criticisms at the time being like, "Yeah, this is just a Spielberg ripoff," which is funny because that's clearly kind of like that clearly kind of laid the way for Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, but no one really accuses Stranger Things of being like a Super Eight or a Spielberg ripoff. People accuse it of being a nostalgia ripoff, which you know maybe. Um, I love Stranger Things. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about it here. But um, well, for, I, I'm just gonna go ahead and say Super Eight is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. and that might be more for personal reasons than anything else. Um, also, Michael Giacchino's score is one of my favorite scores ever, mm-hmm. or at least the main theme. Um, I absolutely love Super Eight. So yeah, just just throwing that out there. Well, and I I think it's really good. I've only seen it the once, but because you showed it to me. But yeah, uh, yeah, I. And so neither of those movies are like we're gonna raise a bunch of questions that never get answered and like kind of it's it's in the marketing anyways for, for sure. Super Eight. 
Well, well, where it was like, what's the monster? We what's what's this thing that's breaking out of the train? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And then they never really explain what. Oh, they do explain what the monster is about a bit. Yeah, they do. Well, okay, that's what I'm saying is that is that they're not the reason. Oh, they, he also he also co-wrote Cloverfield. So oh yeah, there we go. So which is that's a mystery box. Well, so where's the monster? My, come my from? point is that the the, the oh it was. Space All right, rift let me, between dimensions. Let, let, oh God! Thank you, Cloverfield Paradox, let, the worst movie I've ever seen. Let the record show that J.J. Abrams did not co-write Cloverfield Paradox. He should have. Maybe it <laughs> wouldn't have sucked. Uh, so my point, my overall point, is that the the criticism J.J. Abrams gets for the mystery box effect is because of Lost season one. And well, also, he did an entire TED talk about mystery boxes. But well, hold on, he did Lost season one and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Those are the two things he's done that have gotten criticism for doing the mystery box thing. Well, we he, haven't seen his TV work either. Maybe Alias is full of mystery boxes. Maybe Felicity's full of mystery okay. boxes. Well, I don't know. but those are from pre-Lost, which is kind of just like I'll, I'll give I'll give him whatever he wants to do with those. Um, Lost should be retitled the Mystery Box yes, Show. Yeah, and the th- the reason he gets criticism for those is not because he makes mysteries; it's because he raises questions that are never going to have satisfactory answers. And and it's it's really not even that so much as the fact that I would argue that that criticism can be definitely leveled at him for Force Awakens. Um, I think he right. raised a lot of questions that it was like that. You're, the fact that he's raising these questions and then throwing them in somebody else's hands, at least that was the idea at the time, um, yeah. I think... The original Star Wars didn't raise a whole bunch of questions. Yeah. It was not it was just set kind of up They for... just expanded on the material in the next movie. It was not sequel set up. Um, yeah. I'll be very curious to see... Uh, I, I know we we talk about The Last Jedi way too much because it fascinates us, but I'll be very curious to see what how people feel about The Last Jedi in 10 years, not because of, like, it's critical whatever, but because of the fact that the reason Force Awakens, like, got a ton of backlash is because, oh, it was a New Hope ripoff, and that was, like, a year yeah. after that that Well, that ramp. didn't really happen until Rogue One came out. Yes, and so I, what I'm wondering... Which I think is a worse movie than Force Awakens. What I'm wondering is if in 10 years... Especially depending on how J.J. Abrams handles the ninth movie. If ten years... Not throw throw all the plot holes, whatever, that you got for Last Jedi out the window. You Understand how culture works. And, no, like, internet culture specifically just latches on to, like, one soundbite that they can just repeat over and over about a thing. I'll be very right. curious to see if in ten years people are like, Oh, uh, Last Jedi is amazing because it just uh, shot down all of J.J. Abrams' stupid mystery boxes. Um... I'll be very curious to see if that becomes... I think that is a, that is something to, to, to look out for if that ever becomes a surge. Maybe not in 10 years, maybe even in 5, but like, I, just knowing how quickly the, the internet can just be like, oh, maybe we... In, maybe in 2, maybe right after <laughs> episode know, right? 9 comes that, that's out. That's kind of what I was thinking, is like, if, if episode 9 just like horribly like fails... And... Everybody's so quick to just judge Star Wars, they don't want to let it sink in. Yeah, really. Everybody's just like, I gotta have a, a hot, hot take, take. Hot take, yeah. Um, anyway... My point is that J.J. Abrams, even in Lost, like, he was only involved in the... F- I mean, he was involved in all of Lost, but I believe he only wrote the first season. I could be completely wrong on that. I so, believe after the first season, he, he was not Not involved. even involved? He wasn't even, like, producer? I don't think so. Okay. That's that's kind of my understanding. Because when did that show start? I believe 2006. 
Yeah, he helped with the first season. Then he started on movies. Yeah, yeah. And so... I believe I heard a... a, I think it was on the Nerdist podcast where Lindelof was talking about his experience on Lost. And I believe he said something like, yeah, J.J. Abrams helped me with the first season. And then he went to do Mission Impossible 3. And that was kind of all she wrote. Huh. I think... I could be wrong, but that's what I remember. And that would raise two points for me. One... Lost season one is amazing, and really, I, I like. I generally like all of Lost. I mean, I think it's hard to argue that the first few seasons. Are I'm never watching it. You don't need to. You're fine if it's not something that interests you. And this goes. This goes for you. This goes for the audience. Whatever. If you've always been curious about the Lost, it's really not as bad. It doesn't end as bad as people say, but you're fine if it's not something that grabs you. Um, oh, hey, that sounds like a reasonable thing to say. <laughs> uh, it's almost like people can talk reasonably about things that are controversial. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that that first season raises a lot of like oh my gosh moments um of just like crazy things happening and then jj abrams leaves and they never really right. get a satisfactory answer and for all we know a lot of that could have been lindelof but in general oh, rest assured it was all Lindelof. <laughs> none of it yeah um but my point is that Orsian Kurtzman uh, ghost wrote the whole show. My point is that... That's why this is happening to me. Sure, sure. Uh, When J.J. Abrams gets a thing, a complete thing, and he works on it, he doesn't really do that. Like, he doesn't really turn this into like an, oh, I'm gonna uh, throw all these questions out there and you're gonna be completely confused by the end of it. He's not David Lynch. He's not gonna just like completely blow your brain up. He's, He's gonna make... A good story, generally. I mean, maybe, maybe a little manipulative sure, emotionally. Sure. But that's that's very Spielberg. That's that's yep. like yep. Spielberg shtick. Um. So, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, being emotionally manipulative. Movies are meant to make you feel things. Yes, yes. And that's sort of my thing is that I I feel like people have this weird thing, and and that's why I'm not super concerned about episode 9 a lot of people think that's gonna suck cause it's Abrams and mystery boxes or whatever but usually he does a pretty good job when he has a chance to end something so I don't know we'll see how that goes when's he ended things though I'm talking about like this movie in Super 8 like just when he actually like is like hey I'm gonna do this thing in full it's gonna be I mean I'm talking about like the two Star Trek movies as well which the script you can talk about but like my point is that I don't really understand the criticism of J.J. Abrams, I guess, outside of the fact that he raised a lot of questions of Force Awakens and left someone else to deal with them. Um, I think it's more along the lines of people think he's unoriginal because he he's like aping Spielberg style. Um, we'll see. So Awakens I think that is a fair so criticism. Much, in, like A New Hope? I think that is a fair criticism if that's how Excuse you me, Star Wars. I'm not calling it A New Hope. <laughs> Um, I have to stick to my standards. I, I feel like... Because I'm a pretentious Star Wars hack that hates everything that's not two-thirds of the original trilogy. Well, I'm a pretentious Star Wars hack who hates the entire series, so top that. I'm the biggest Star Wars fan because I hate all of it. <laughs> um, Star Wars fans are the worst. Yes. My... And I am one of them, alas. See, see I, I... I am part of the problem, Tyler. Yep. Yes, you we are. We need to rid ourselves of this infection. <laughs> uh, it's the chimera virus. <laughs> oh, God. We need Bellerophon. Bel- Bel- Bellerophon is uh, is uh, Avengers 4. That's, that's 
going to be it's going to be the cure. Avengers four Bellerophon. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a a weird uh, backdoor Mission Impossible two sequel. I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm imagining a scene because Captain America has done this for. He's done it where he kicks the the shield into the air, but the way it works, it makes more sense <laughs> with physics. But he hasn't uh, done it in the sand. That's true. Will it work? Anyways, we're not talking about that anymore. Right. What are we uh, talking about? Well, so, so my point was that... Um... <laughs> we lost my point. Oh, my point was that I feel like Mystery Box is a thing that gets thrown at J.J. Abrams... As like the it's it's the very surface level, um, YouTube comment, Reddit comment. I'm gonna I'm gonna get some get some internet points by insulting Abrams or insert director here for insert thing they do that everybody like generally knows about. It's it's yeah. the Abrams and his stupid mystery boxes ruined Star Wars or whatever. At least before Last Jedi came out and actually ruined Star Wars apparently. Um, <laughs> the uh, that's just my overall evaluation. Star I, uh, Wars has never been is, ruined before. Correct. Um, I like sand. It's coarse and rough. And Tom Cruise jumps all over it with a gun. It's, it's weird. Say it's coarse, it's rough, and it's impossible to kick a gun out of it from a standing position. Uh, yeah. We're probably getting too much into Star Wars talk, but it's kind of hard to avoid that when talking about J.J. Abrams. Um, but my overall point, I think Mystery Box is a very superficial, dumb thing people throw at J.J. Abrams because he did that TED Talk, and it's not actually all that it's, applicable it's, to his It's kind his of a works. straw man argument, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of get it. I... My point I is know. that it doesn't have any application to this movie. <laughs> Well, because I think this is the best way you can handle a mystery box. Yeah. If you're going to to use that term. Yeah. I just don't even know um, if that applies here. Uh, let's talk about just the set pieces in general. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise running. Is, are you saying that, that's not a set piece? Uh, it sure as heck is. <laughs> um, I think the only one that is like deftly handled is the Vatican scene. Yeah. Vatican. I think everything else kind of goes with the action like shaky cam zoom in quick cuts. Yeah. The the uh, Vatican scene is... I didn't... Is... Were there tons of lens flares in this? I didn't notice them. There's like... I noticed them like during uh, some of the highway chase stuff but that's just because broad daylight with the sun. I think I noticed so like one... I don't know. Okay. I don't even remember at what point it was, but there was one. I was like, "Oh, hey, there's that lens flare." Also, I've never noticed lens flares. Like, I've never seen that as a problem. Yeah. Like, I know everybody's like, "He uh, ruined it, Star Trek because of lens flares." It, it goes back to the thing of, which is really something that we could talk you know, about. No, he for ruined days. Star Trek because he let Orsi Kurtzman <laughs> and Lindelof write a movie with Khan in it. We we could talk for days about every director and the things they get leveled at them without people having more detailed, like reflecting re, re, more detailed um i don't know what the word i'm looking for is uh deeper criticism where without people like kind of actually analyzing their works and just like kind of slapping a label on things yeah uh that's something that we could probably talk about a lot with a lot of the people we talk about but i feel like abrams especially gets a lot of these weird like he gets the lens flares he gets the mystery box 
Well, it, it's he like gets... saying Quentin Tarantino's movies are bad and, and all, all, they're all the same. They're redundant because they use the F word so many times. Yeah, it's just, it's a weird... It's what a... kind of non-criticism is that? That's just a thing it's, in the movie. It's a weird box that J.J. Abrams gets to, considering he has got to be one of the most competent directors we talk about consistently on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Like, he, I, okay. I will say, I, I, Into Darkness, I don't think is a great film. And I, I believe I said earlier that it's not a good film. Mm-hmm. I think it would, I'd probably give it like a C plus. Yeah. I actually think it's one of the most beautiful looking like summer blockbusters I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I just, the opening scene where they're on that red planet and they're running away from the natives, like that all looks gorgeous. Yeah. He's a very competent filmmaker. Yes. I mean, he's a good filmmaker. I mean, we don't. I, I said, and he, competent, and he but, knows how to direct actors. But the reason I say competent is because we talk about so many films that are just bad, and these are films that are being ha- or that are having hundreds of millions of dollars thrown at them. And meanwhile, he's over here. He's like, "Hey, look, I made this good Star Wars movie for the first time in twenty years," and everyone's like, "Abrams, you suck. We gave you two months to enjoy your success, but now you suck." What if J.J. Abrams were to showrun this this HBO Harry Potter series? That would be beautiful. Well, especially because... I'm trying to think, who is Abrams? Mostly because the story's already laid out for him. Like, yep. it's it's yep. right there. Is is Abrams in charge of... Um, they're not in charge of... Isn't he involved on Westworld? Are you, do you know that at all? Yeah. He is? Yeah. It's him and... That's kind of him and uh, Jonathan yes. Nolan's baby. Yeah. yeah. Um... I feel bad because I think there's also a, a prominent female showrunner whose name I cannot remember. Um, you sexist. Uh, yeah. I, now I gotta look it up. Anyway. Um, yeah, my, my point is that... Uh, we stopped talking about the set pieces a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, set pieces. Uh, but yes, that would be amazing. Anyway. I, I just like to get on rants about... Because... Let, all right, let me let me get, get this out before we continue on with actual discussion of Mission Impossible Three because I I want to break this down. Who are recent directors that we've talked about? It's John just, Woo. John Woo, sure. Uh, I mean, well, so we got John Woo and Brian, but I'm talking about more like um, franchise director, like people that keep getting hired for big name projects. David Yates. David Yates. Um, Peter Chris Jackson. Columbus. Peter Jackson. Um. You know, it's Peter Jackson. We we'll, we'll give him sort of a pass. Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. Uh, Zack Snyder. Your your Colin Trevorrow's. Colin Trevorrow. Although I don't we, even know if he has a career anymore. Yeah, apparently. Um. Brett Ratner. Even though I don't know if he has a career <laughs> anymore. Michael Bay. Your Michael uh, Bay's. Your Alan Taylor's. Sure. Well, that's uh, how many? Oh yeah. What? Oh yeah. I keep forgetting he did Terminator Genesis. We've done two Alan Taylor oh, movies. God. Poor guy. He does good Game of Thrones episodes, okay. Um, yeah, and he should stay there. <laughs> yes, that's that's also true. Uh, yeah, it's just... Tim Burton. <laughs> another. I know we haven't done many of his, but like... I, think, I guess we've only done the two Batman movies, but anyway... Um, I would say Tim Burton should stick to just doing weird Tim Burton movies, but apparently those suck too. Um, Brian Singer. <laughs> like, if he even still has a career if anymore. If he even still has a career anymore. Uh, and I could probably... I'm, I, I, I should probably add, add to that, not all Tim Burton movies suck. He's just one of those people that can't, like he's not... 
He's not well, good at expanding well, that, to different types of things. That lays down my point, which is that all of those directors we just mentioned have at least one, in our eyes at least, pretty significant dud. Um, like, something that's just like, oh man, that's that was just not very well done. Abrams is... What was Ryan Johnson's, Tyler? Okay, well, uh, you, you said Ryan Johnson. I kind of just moved on beyond that. And you didn't it was, deny it. it was the, you didn't deny you, it. You know what it is. We, we have it confirmed. We've confirmed. I've been playing no, no, the long no, no. time, people. Alex, we, I'm trying to get Tyler to say that Star Wars The Last Jedi is a bad movie. No, no, no. And we've done we've it. We've confirmed already that his one dud is the Fly episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> Why do we bring this joke up every episode? Because the internet can't stop talking about The Last Jedi, so why should we? So why should we stop talking about the Fly episode of Breaking Bad? <laughs> anyway, um... But... The so set pieces... <laughs> well, no, no, so, so I wanted to finish my point there, is that... J.J. Abrams makes good movies, like... Like, and but and when I say duds for, for those other directors, excluding Ryan Johnson... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm saying these in terms of like the mo- something about the movie is fundamentally a problem. Like you've done right. something wrong here, uh, and I, I, I I'm sure we named somebody who that doesn't really apply to. But I, I think in general, a lot of those were ones. Yeah, where, Alan Taylor. Yeah, there you go. A lot of those were movies that uh, that they, you know, who, the person that um, directed them seems to have made some creative choices that derailed what otherwise could have been a better movie like they, in in general i think that's right. applicable to a lot of those situations jj <laughs> abrams is just like if i need to write something i'll probably do a pretty good job of it if i direct someone else's writing then i'll probably do a really good job of it even if the writing isn't that good like i i don't know it's it's silly to me that we that the internet gives jj abrams so much crap when he's actually just like one of the i don't i almost in terms of like big name Hollywood directors, he's he's one of the best working right now. Like, there's just not a lot of good big name Hollywood directors in general. You want to talk about indie directors? That's another thing. But I, I, yeah, Abrams, and this is mostly just because he's produced so many things and he's been an executive producer on so many things. I almost think you could get him into a Kevin Feige yes. type position where he's yeah. running a a universe yeah. of sorts. He'd have to, it'd have to be something he's passionate about, which I don't know what he's passionate about, but. Harry Potter. He tried to write a Superman movie at some point. There you go. Why aren't they all over that? He'd do a great Superman movie. Not not just all over the super, him doing a Superman movie, but just why aren't they all over? Give him, him literally any DC property, well, and it would be better than what no, no, they're no, no. putting out now. Why aren't they all over him ma- making him the DCU cinematic director? Like like Feige is. I mean, Feige is obviously a big fan of of Marvel. You know why? Because Chris Terrio told him horror stories, and he's like, oh, I'm never working for Warner <laughs> Stay Brothers. away! Because they are indeed the worst studio. That's very true. Um, I say that as I'm boycotting Venom at the moment. <laughs> well, that's different. <laughs> I'll see into the Spider-Verse. Sony's the worst in a different way, okay? Um, Sony's just incompetent. Warner Brothers is corrupt. Yes, that's correct. I stand by that. No, I agree. We'll take you on, Warner Brothers lawyers. <laughs> Even though I really... Uh, I'm totally dating the podcast, because we've never done that before. I, I want to see A Star is Born, and I believe that's a war, Warner yeah, Brothers is. movie. 
Warner Brothers is the worst. Proceeds to give them probably like a hundred dollars a year. Well, they're they're good at when they when it's a movie that's not part of a franchise. Yep. I think Warner Brothers is just terrible with franchises. Yep. Very true. Because you got the Hobbit movies, you got the Harry Potter movies. You know, we've we've set our piece on the Harry Potter movies, and then you've got the DC movies. Yep. It'd be, I'd be curious to do an analysis of like what they're not smaller movies, but like more kind of unique movies like A Star Is Born that they've they've funded. Well, like be Ben Affleck's Ben Affleck's solo movies, yeah. like they kind of just let him do whatever he wants, and for the most part, it's worked out. Yeah, and and so it's it, it is kind of like okay, well, at least they're using that to do something good. For like I think the Clint Eastwood, all of his movies are Warner Brothers, and I know he's kind of got a mixed bag, but when he hits, he really hits. Like they yeah. they seem to just kind of let their when it's not franchises mm-hmm. that we're talking about, they seem to be a director-driven studio. But dear Lord, take your hands off the franchises. Dear Lord, <laughs> take your hands off my franchises. <laughs> Stop pointing that gun at my franchises. Uh, yeah. It's been a while since you whipped that one out. Yes, man, you're not wrong. Uh, but you go back to even like Batman 89 and they were, they had their fingers all over that. Right, right, right. Anyway. Which is why you got Prince music and Nike Batman boots and... Hey, Jack Nicholson, the Joker's going to be the main character and not Batman. Yeah. You know, the guy with the name in the title. I don't know, J.J. Abrams has been in enough stuff, though, that you, you wonder if maybe he could actually corral them to some extent. He's I feel like he's enough of a big name and has enough... He he get, he produces so many things, and that's kind of why I would think that would be an amazing choice that they're never going to make because they're not that competent, um, or smart. I get I don't know what, what however you want to apply the fact that they make bad creative decisions, um, but like Feige, I'm sure. I mean, I I know he has a love for the Marvel comics, but he came from like what was he running before? Just it was like ABC in general, I think, for Disney and like. He was involved in a few different things. Or maybe I might get... I know I'm, Feige just helped executive produce a lot of the early Marvel movies. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm confused. Um, I think I'm confusing him with Bob Iger. But either way, he he comes from... Kevin Feige's name is on X-Men 3 and Spider-Man yeah, 3, yeah. so... Sure. But, but overall, he is a... He comes from a producing background. He's not Jeff Johns, yeah. who wrote comic books, and they were like, Hey, can you showrun a billion dollar movie franchise and he's like i guess uh jeff john should have been in charge of the writer's room of their their script writing yes like not not in charge of production or like the actual filmmaking side of things or 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 zach snyder which like zach's less said about that well i just he he works best when he's doing his own thing and he's just kind of like yeah i want to like he works best when people give him a script and say, direct well, this. So what I mean... You cannot deviate. What I mean by works best is that he makes film... When he when he does that, he makes films that people consider cult classics. Like, maybe not cult classics because they're recent, but like, Dr. Dr. Manhattan, Watchmen, um, 300. I know people... So there are people who like Sucker Punch. There are people who like that movie a lot. I don't know why. Uh, the, 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 Have you seen Sucker Punch? I have not. Um... <laughs> the the hey 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 I've got I've got one word of advice for you don't the classic film Guardians of Gahul which I need to see uh, but I would be interested in watching I, I very much want to see that movie because I love that series as a kid anyway mostly because I want to see slow motion owls ripping each other apart because yes. that sounds like the I remember most that Snyder series thing being I've ever heard incredibly of incredibly violent um 
but overall, I'm I'm saying I mean I'm really just pointing to 300 and Watchmen, but I'm saying which are cases where he was given a script, but he I'm saying he is an auteur. However, you want to like frame that whether you want to say that's a good thing or a bad thing i mean michael bay could yeah. be considered an auteur i think he's maybe kind of lost that label <laughs> you watch a you watch a michael bay movie and you go that's a michael bay movie yes uh and, that, and that's my point is that snyder is not built for his style is not built for a billion dollar three movies a year uh franchise handling some of the most famous characters in media like it's, that's just, well it's also just because he fundamentally does not understand superheroes so well but i'm saying like if he makes just made just like his own movie about a vigilante who kills people fine yeah go for it like that i'm sure he'd it'd be a, it, if nothing else would be entertaining it'd be interesting Zack um, snyder should should make punisher movies that would be yep exactly and my point is that he wants my point is that he wants to do his own thing i guess is my better way of putting that oh wait he made a punisher movie it was called batman v superman <laughs> dawn of justice <laughs> zing got him uh but my point is that he wants to do his own thing and you you can tell that by the way he makes films and it's just weird to be like he's gonna run our universe or i mean i i guess i see where they were going with with um who's, who's the, the guy the other guy the guy that the other guy the guy that did the things get the tril- the Batman trilogy with Nolan and then David Goyer Goyer that yeah that was, that was the word um, I, I, I I helped you out yes uh, and I get kind of where they'd be going with making him more the creative director but I, they need someone who is very familiar with producing and and they need someone to s- who's not who's not going to say oh Martian Manhunter's never going to show up in any of these movies because he's a dumb character yes <laughs> like they've never had a situation where they go up to Kevin Feige and they're like what about a squirrel go- girl movie and he goes that's stupid we're never doing it <laughs> he, he goes you'll never get that sort of response from him he goes oh yeah that's actually on the calendar for uh, 2027 uh, we'll be getting there and we've decided who's going to be directing it at this point yeah um, Anna Kendrick set to start <laughs> yes and yeah yeah so the Mission Impossible 3 set piece is I feel like we've, we've set our piece on that completely massive tangent yeah. J.J. Abrams should should be in charge of one of these cinematic universes and leave him to his own devices. Yes. Continue. Mission Impossible 3 set pieces. Go. Have him be in charge of, of the Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy. Or not. No, have him be in charge of it. I'm okay if Ryan Johnson actually makes the thing, but I want J.J. Abrams to be in charge of it. Fair. Ryan Johnson needs some guidance. So the Mission Impossible 3 set pieces... Like I said, I think the only one that's really handled like super, super well is the the uh, Vatican set piece, and that's just because there's not like any shootouts that are edited. It's very creative, like a music video. Mm-hmm. Um, it's done well. Yeah, the the stuff with the the mask. And it the voice feels like it feels neat. like it feels like quintessential Mission yes. Impossible. Of just like you've got all your your moving chess pieces, and they're all interacting, and they're just completing a mission. Well, it's just a simple super. Words. Words. It's a super interesting concept. Because the idea is that they capture Davian. They swap out one of their own as Davian so he can successfully get out of the Vatican without anyone suspecting that he's been kidnapped. And then then they fake his death. And then they fake his death. Like, that's that's such an interesting series of events that you got there. Um, I love the moment where uh, they're in the car... And they pull it up over the the pothole or, mm-hmm. or the the sewer grate, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And Ving Rhames pulls it 
<laughs> out of the way. And he's just like, sup? And then you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, but it's Ethan Hunt under it. And he goes, sup? Yeah. How's it going? Or, or what are y'all up to? Nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It's pretty it's funny. Um, yeah, the... Also, this movie is not tone deaf, mm-hmm. like I feel like the other two were mm-hmm. in places, even the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the tone feels very inconsistent, and I'm not being taken out when suddenly things get ridiculous or action-heavy. Yes. Um, there's the helicopter set piece, which is... I don't like, on, I don't like on the its helicopter face, set piece. On its face, on its face, words, we've been talking a while. <laughs> it's It's a neat idea in that it's like, okay... So we've got helicopters flying through windmills. I mean, they, they do some interesting stuff with that. They they blow up a windmill. There's kind of the ridiculous, but I, I also kind of love it, bit where they fly through a windmill and blow up the other helicopter. Yeah. Um, the part where Lindsay, played by Carrie Russell, as we mentioned, uh, her, like, the bombiter brain goes off with, like, five seconds to go on the timer. That is super effective, I feel like. We're just—it's not even like oh, we need blood running out her yes. nose or anything. It's just like oh, her eye just will like be in the wrong place. Yeah, one eye like goes purple and the other eye like shoots over to the side, and it's like oh god. And then just yeah. the, the timer clicking down with an extra five seconds waiting for the charge, and then the and like man, that that's really well done. Yeah, not action, so that tells you something. <laughs> it's it's. Well, even, I like the idea of, like, when he rescues her and he shoots her with the adrenaline. I love where he's just like, you're going to feel this. Yeah. yeah. Um, this this movie feels like an adrenaline shot that this franchise needed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, like, the, the back and forth where they're working as a team to eliminate all the people in the building. Mm-hmm. Like, I really like that. Even though I... Even if I it's don't It's not think shot super well. It's still... It was shot super well. Um, the concept is there... You can generally yeah. tell what's going on. I mean, it's it's shaky cam, but it's we we get enough clear shots that it's not a, a major issue like it is with some of the other movies we talk about. Can I say, going back to the Vatican scene, seeing Tom Cruise dressed up as a priest walking through the Vatican is a very <laughs> surreal image. I'm just saying. I did not even make that connection. That's I'm yeah, just saying. You're not wrong. <laughs> and then he goes to a Christian funeral. This movie has a couple of, or the, this franchise has already had a couple of interesting Bible, uh, bib- biblical references, which is in it. Like it's it's very surface level, but it's, um, and the, well, I think of the fact that the Bible is the key clue in the first movie to like figuring out yeah. that John Voight is the bad guy. This one, um, isn't there those darn Gideons? Yeah, isn't there something in this where like before that scene where there's actually like a. I feel like there's an actual verse or something. I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, it said the dead are alive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in general, just like there, there's there's obviously the Vatican stuff, and then like the actual yeah, it's it's an actual funeral. Um, I swear there was something that because there was something that made me think about that. Anyway, there's something in Mission Impossible Fallout as well. Um, it 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 comes around. Um, which is just an interesting kind of through line for what is otherwise just a normal action franchise. Right. I have no real comment on that beside it being an observation. Um, well, then we have the bridge sequence, which... Does the bit where, where the missile blows up behind him and he goes sideways, is that just like... Has that been proven to be like complete nonsense? 
Is Why? that just like the dumbest thing? There's the running shot where he's, yeah. he's running away as the missile hits behind him and he gets thrown sideways into the car and not forward. Yeah. I remember people making a big deal about that I don't at see the time. It doesn't feel like it's like, I don't know. I, 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 the bigger issue is the fact that he survives. <laughs> it, yeah, it does well, not he matter. He gets up immediately like, oh, well, I'm he, fine. he gets up and he's like stumbling, but it's, it, he had broken bones. Well, then again, it gets more ridiculous as we go on, yes. but it's not a problem because these movies are awesome. Yes. Um, it's funny how this movie has a lot of starting with, uh, of, of Tom Cruise beginning to get into a running, running scene and then stopping. Yeah. Where, where there's, like, like, just, just tell them, just tell them I, you know, you, you missed me at the hospital. It's fine. Yeah. Ethan, you need to come in with us. Dun, 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 dun. Scene, oh, they got scene him. Is, <laughs> scene is very unrealistic because Tom Cruise gets caught while running, but um, that's fine. Should have should have outrun the uh, the laser or whatever it was. Uh, I think it was a taser or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's that. There's the part where he starts to run on the bridge and then the missile blows up. Um, yeah, and then finally they let him loose on the streets well, of we Shanghai. Need to talk about the the uh, him jumping off the building yeah there's that too it's a exciting scene well it's a cool looking visual I don't think it's shot particularly well yeah. other than the tracking shot of him running off the building after that it's just like oh well, it zoomed in on his face there's there's that and there's the part where he where when he first starts sliding it like pans down and the way the perspective works it like gets it to where it looks like he's falling straight down like it, it kind of zooms out that way so that it's you can see kind of how like I don't know. That's that's a, it's a freaky like kind of hands sweaty hands uh, shot right there. Yeah, and then yeah. It, it's just like oh he's sliding. Yeah, he's still sliding. Okay, he 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 stopped. Um, it's a nice little scene. I kind of appreciate the fact that we don't need to bother with him, how he steals the the rabbit's foot. It's like at this point, yeah, because it's just like oh Ethan does this thing. It's fine. Yes, and it's interesting. Ethan is spy man. It, it, I think it says an interesting thing again, kind of going back to the the fact that the rabbit's foot is not the point of the yeah. fact that we got the whole scene with the Vatican and that was a very intricate in-depth scene to figure out how they st- they kidnapped Davian. This is oh he's got to get the MacGuffin. We're not going to spend time on him getting the MacGuffin. Are you paying attention to Mission Impossible 2? <laughs> right. Not that you not that that's always a good idea, but I in in this case it works very well where it's just all right. We don't need to worry about this. We're going to have a big action scene or at least a big running scene in a second. And there's going to be some action thrown in. We're just going to go ahead and move along. Um right. So Tom Cruise running. It's amazing. It's just amazing. I don't think it's the best running that he does. I think that has to go to either Fallout or Ghost Protocol. Interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What, it's been a while since I've seen Ghost Protocol, so I'll have to. The sandstorm scene is pretty incredible with him. Okay. He's he is running. I'll keep an eye out for it. Um, um, but just but Fallout. Yeah, Fallout I, I, we've talked terrible. about this before. It's this long tracking shot as he just keeps going and going and going. It's, it's like how is good, the camera keeping up how with him? It, yeah, it's it's a good fifteen seconds. Uh, and then and then the I camera. I feel like he ran halfway across the planet yes. in those that, then, that fifteen second shot. Yes, and then the camera pans out at the end, and you're just like, "This is glorious." It's just Tom Cruise running as far as the eye can see. And you just have, like, Giacchino's constant, like, yes. super... Uh, <laughs> it's amazing! Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like, it's, it's constantly in motion. intense music over a single shot that is the exact same shot for the majority of the scene, of, of the yeah. ten seconds. It's just this intense music that's getting you super pumped. Oh, it's great. Um, 
Definitely the best we've gotten so far. What is there any actual real world applications to the way they handle uh, the defibrillator or like you can stop his heart and then start it back up again. It's fine. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. I'm not a medical person. That that felt like very movie logic. Like it's fine for the sake of the movie because obviously this isn't the most realistic movie, but it's not a complete farce either. Well, I know just that like... the defibrillator. So they they say they're going to use that to start Lindsay's heart at the beginning, which supposedly is not how that works. Like that's that's supposed to be. Um... They use it once to stop the charge in her head. But it's going to stop her heart, and then that's what the Ethan idea says. Is going well, to. then I'll do it again, yeah. and I'll start it back yeah, up. But the, it's supposed to be that you have a well. The idea they do it. They say they're going to do it once to fry. Like the point is to fry the chip in the brain. Yeah, and so they say they're going to do that, and then they're going to use it to start it again. But those only, I believe, defibrillators only work. This is something that comes up a lot in movies and TV shows, but I believe they only work when the heart is like still beating, but slowly. Like when the heart yeah. is, is dying, I guess, or, or fading. Like in Casino Royale? Yes. Um, except Casino Royale actually apparently does not make any sense. I've seen a breakdown of this recently. <laughs> I'll have to find it for you. Um, All right, never mind. I, I lost that battle <laughs> in, uh, my, in my constant crusade that Casino Royale is one of the greatest films ever made. Random side note, uh, Lisa Joy is the showrunner of Westworld that I was trying to f- remember earlier. I don't know if she is... I think she was on the first season as well. I don't know if she was just the same. Anyway, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. We should wrap this up. We really should. We're getting there. Um, But yeah, so the, uh, the, I feel like generally it doesn't make sense, but I I also am not sure if like her, her pounding on his, on his heart, if that would work, if his heart had stopped, I feel like maybe it would. Um, Maybe that's what that's supposed to do. So maybe that makes more sense of what they were trying to do at the beginning. I don't know if like that would instantly kill you like quote unquote like stop your heart if you use the defibrillator when you were not right de- i don't know i don't know how any of that works movie logic it's fine yeah it's more or less it's more or less good silencers actually however, silence guns and movies it's fine however tom cruise is dead for like way too long <laughs> oh yeah definitely <laughs> that would be some brain damage even though it's a pretty cool scene where julia's just yes. kind of on her own yeah. with a gun and Very she's like i've never used a gun before and she ends up like killing everyone including musgrave yes, it's a super resourceful little bit yep yeah this the overall fight between Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman is generally it's it's very brutal, which is nice. Like the fact that that Cruise is just on the ground and he's just beating him, and it's violent, yeah. and it's 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 very the physical performance he's giving is amazing. Like just in the way he's he's delivering the hits, um, and yeah, then it just kind of turns. Uh, they fight and roll into the street, and then it gets taken out by a truck. Um, it's fine. <laughs> yep overall great performance by him I like the self-awareness that they add in where Ethan explains to Julia that what the IMF means and then she just goes shut up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like oh they're not taking this too seriously yep. okay okay this I, I'm fine with this yeah I'm fine yeah. with this last thing I'll say um Michael Giacchino's score I think it's the best of the... Th- yeah, no, it's not the best of the three so far. I still like Hans Zimmer's score quite a bit. Um, I really like it, though. 
Um, they have a, a subtle love theme for him and for Ethan and Julia that I really like. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Giacchino's best work is still to come. Yeah. After this movie, I mean. Yes. Not, not like, 2018, Giacchino's <laughs> best work is still to come. Because I don't know. Um, it could be. Yeah. Um, I really like his fi- Final story. note. I just wanted to say this because I, I mentioned Spectre earlier. Not to get on the Spectre tangent. Um, oh, I'll get on a, on a Spectre tangent. Well, I just want to say, <laughs> the th- don't you worry. It's, it's very interesting to me that none of these movies ever explore, and this would be the time to do it if they did, none of these movies ever explore Ethan Hunt's backstory. The most they do is in the first one where it's like, oh, he has a family. But then quickly in this one, um, Julia's uh, sister says, oh, but then we learned that Ethan doesn't have a family oh, either. Yeah. And it's like, is that his cover story the, or did just everyone die off screen? The, the chimera virus. Between movies. Oh, oh, oh. Was that in the prequel novel? Yeah. Oh, okay. The prequel novel, Mission Impossible 2 and a half. The revengeing. So that's my review of Mission Impossible Three. What's your grade, buddy? I'm going to flat B. Okay. Um. Like I said, I think we've got a pretty solid script. Uh, there's some, you know, minor changes that I would make. Uh. Feels pretty standard. The action's slightly underwhelming, I guess. And that's mostly just because I know J.J. Abrams and I know how his filmmaking has, has gotten better, at least on the production side of things. So, like I said, if he were to do it now, I think this would arguably be the best Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. It would at least be tied. Yeah. I, I think Fallout is the best. Fair. And I think if we had current J.J. Abrams directing this script, I think it might be tied for best. Mm-hmm. Might. I'm torn. Emphasis on might. Hmm. I don't know. I'm gonna go with A-. Oh my god. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. I Like, legitimately, just the entire way through, I was like, I'm very invested in this story and these characters. Fascinating. Um, I did not expect yeah. that. No, I I really really like. I mean, I, I expected you to give Mission Impossible to an F, but I did sure. not expect this. This, this is a, this is quite the swing. Oh yeah, I don't know when the last time we had a swing. I had a swing at least this large. Well, the best part is now it's going to be consistent for the next few weeks. Like it's going to be consistently. Yeah. Oh hey, I like that. I'm movie. already. Oh hey, I like that movie too. I'm already kind of like looking ahead to figure out how I'm going to fit Mission Impossible Fallout into that yeah. into that schema but now I'll, I'll deal with that when I get there I, I, I have eh. should we go ahead and say we might have a bit of a weird gap between Rogue yeah. Nation and Fallout based on when the DVD for Fallout is coming mistakes out mistakes so, were made um, on, all on me I mean, by the way I, I it was, it was all on me attempt to check so um, <laughs> you took I, that I responsibility for yourself I should have checked more thoroughly. I was I was doing a lot of guesswork uh, on that. So we might have a few weeks between Rogue Nation and Fallout, which is strange, but we might just play catch up with a lot of the franchises that have been updated this year. Because yep. um, I know we've got Solo, we've got Fallen Kingdom, as much as I don't want to talk about that movie ever again. Uh, 
And then we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp. Which, realistically, we could have done Solo before this franchise, I, th- I believe. Yeah. Uh, I think it was... Something... Uh, maybe not. I'm not sure. Okay. It would have been close. I'm just curious at what point we'll hit the longest stretch of catching up on movies. Because uh, we just we just went through one of three. I'm trying to remember if we've done one before that point. That was a long stretch. I feel Don't like... tell me there's going to be a place where I have to talk about the Predator and Venom back to back. Don't tell me that's going to be a possibility I mean, in our future. It's actually true. I don't want it. <laughs> are there any other movies coming out right now that are in franchises we've done? I feel like there's not. There's probably stuff I'm forgetting, but those are, I, I kind of identified the big ones. Well, it's weird because, like, in November, don't Aquaman and Bumblebee open up oh, that sounds right. on the same day? And then Into the Spider-Verse also opens up on that day. I feel like we're going to start getting into the first movies that... Although that's animated, so we might not review that. I don't know. I feel like we're going to start getting into the first set of catch-up movies that we don't watch in theaters. Because <laughs> there's going to be some where we're just like, ah, we don't care. I'm starting to get to that point where I'm like, I'm not watching all, all this crap. Same, same. I'm Pick and choose your battles. I don't care. Venom, not watching it. Mm-hmm. Not doing it. Don't care. Not interested. Avi Arad, you no have thanks. To. Until I have to. Yes. All right. Well. Oh, the Fantastic Beasts 2. Ah. And Creed 2. Ah. Okay, we're going to have like 10 in a row. One of those I'm excited about. And the other one is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Johnny Tepp. Correct. So. All right, everybody. <laughs> let's, let's, let's wrap it up you can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com you can find us through email at herecomethesequels at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at hctsequels and you can find us on youtube and itunes you just gotta search us there uh, and we will uh, we will appear before you glorious Correct. and shining we also didn't say that this movie establishes um Kind of a mainstay of the series of Simon Peck on a computer directing Ethan to do things. Yep. Well, it, it wouldn't make a ton of sense to establish it here. We gotta revisit know, these things. I'm, I'm just saying. I feel like we didn't I'm talk about Simon Peck enough. I'm very to track the general continuity of the next few movies. I know they are continuous, but just in terms of like, as they start to build these different elements and, and how far they continue to go with them. <sighs> How many different ways can we have Ethan go rogue? Yes. <laughs> that's overall that's my biggest problem with the franchise. That <laughs> like we the only time we have him go on a mission is the bad one. Yep. Alright, everybody. <laughs> uh next week we're doing Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, mm-hmm. and we'll continue this hype train of oh hey, I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I had a fun time. I didn't hate it. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Art is subjective. Nothing is real. It's all about the mystery boxes. So long. (laughs)